as Nadeem al Haqji, as uh, you know, PID really likes to recognize all intellectual activity in Pakistan and try to arrange webinars on all intellectual activities so that we can all learn. My company is from that point of view, I must have extremely happy to invite my good friend Shakil Durrani, who needs no introduction. He is um, oh one of God. our best, finest bureaucrats. Because we have begun the webinar. So Shakil Durani Saab has worked in many different positions, very important positions, from Secretary of Railway to Wapta to many provinces. Shakil Durani Saab has said one of the finest um, bureaucrats. A lot of respect from, for him all over the world. Um, and I think this is a very welcome thing that Shakil Durani has written a wonderful book describing his experiences, analyzing the civil service, summing up the areas in, uh, summing up the issues in the frontier areas, in, in, in uh, uh, the tribal areas, in Khabar Pakhtunistan, et cetera. It's a wonderful, a wonderful addition to our knowledge. One could say that it's um, a deep anthropological, sociological study of the region. And I think it deserves a lot of attention and thought. So from that point of view, I thought it was very important to have Shakil Durani Saab launch his book at the Byte platform because it's, um, you know, stuff like this that we really want to learn from and understand. Personally, I've learned a lot by uh, reading this to understand how the, um, um, how those areas work, which I have never been to. So Shakil Saab, with that introduction, can I ask you to speak a little bit about your book, introducing it to the audience, and then we can go from there. Thank you, sir. Assalamu alaikum, everyone. Uh, feel honored uh, with my book being launched uh, through Pied. Uh, let me begin by saying, I mean, why the book? So there were really uh, two main reasons why I thought uh, I should write. Firstly, uh, I think this was an obligation to the family, to friends, to my service career. And I've been very fortunate. The Almighty has been very kind to me throughout. So there are lots of things which I thought uh, I must put in print because the younger generation, my children and my nephews and nieces and grandchildren and all these people, uh, there are so many things I wanted them to know that uh, were it not to be brought out in print, uh, maybe in a few years time, no one would know. For example, my children would never know uh, that one of my cousins, uh, a girl was half Russian, and uh, she joined the Russian Air Force during World War II and was a tail gunner in uh, a Soviet bomber. Her younger sister was a soprano in an opera. That's my first cousin. And of course, there's no contact with them any longer, but uh, there are dozens of anecdotes. Actually, this book is light reading and there are dozens and dozens of anecdotes, but there are models to the story also. Uh, 
So uh, I thought I, I'll record these things. And then I thought that there is an obligation to the society, to the country, uh, to record what I've seen. And to the best of my knowledge, uh, I've tried to be very, very truthful, uh, presented things uh, the way I saw them. Now, of course, uh, this comes with a caveat because lots of people uh, feel and they are justified to a large extent also. They say bureaucrats, uh, after their retirement, choose to write books and pontificate. But when they are in service, they behave arrogantly and uh, the, their response to the needs of the people is not very forthcoming. And I, I, I sort of agree with uh, that statement uh, to quite an extent, because if there is anyone who's let this country down, it's the ruling politicians and the bureaucracy. Uh, of course, there have been good politicians and there have been some very fine uh, bureaucrats. Uh, and the country owes a lot to uh, those who serve with dedication. Now, but uh, having said that, you know, things remain uh, pathetically poor in our dear country. Uh, Things which other countries, issues which the other countries have resolved long time back, we have been unable to do that. Can you imagine 74 years after independence, so to speak, the literacy ratio is less than 60%. And actually, in the last two years, uh, two years back, it actually fell 2% in most of the country, most of the provinces. Now, how can we step into the 21st century with a literacy ratio of less than 60%. And literacy ratio in Pakistan is uh, defined ludicrously. Uh, if you were to actually measure the real literacy ratio, maybe it will not be more than 25 or 30%. Secondly, uh, one other issue where, which has been totally ignored ever since President Ayub left, and that's the high growth rate of population. Even today, the population is growing at about 2% a year. So can you imagine we are adding 5 million people to our population, 50 lakhs uh, every year. And look at the conditions already. Look at the, uh, the state of uh, accommodation, the, the cost of the food, the congestion everywhere, the inability of the government to reach out to the common persons, and yet nothing virtually nothing has been done as far as family planning is concerned. And I've seen in the last 30 or 40 years, and I've been federal secretary population welfare also, uh, very little has been done as far as this is concerned. Now, how can you step into the 21st century and become an Asian tiger if, uh, if uh, the population growth rate is so high? Bangladesh has about a 1% growth and it's falling even further and ours is 2%, this is totally unsustainable. And uh, there are issues of governance, uh, there are issues of unemployment, uh, you know, what we really should have focused upon, we are still not focusing upon that. Uh, the emphasis still is general uh, conventional universities teaching humanities and languages 
So who's going to teach the uh, vocation? Where would the vocational institutions come from? The professional, vocational, technical education. And uh, we are taking a beating as far as that's concerned. And I've all, all, always thought, and I've wondered that uh, in Pakistan, where are the leaders who lead their country to success, to high growth rate and to uh, progress? For example, where is our Deng Xiaoping? And where is our Xi Jinping? Where is our Dr. Mahathir Mohammed and Mr. Lee Kuan Ji? Where is our Dr. Manmohan Singh? Our Turgat Ozal? Our General Park Chung Hee? Our Erdogan? These people, apparently, it appears that we never had these people. These were visionaries. They took the bold decisions. Whereas uh, here, we have seen the leadership, and especially over the last 30 years or 40 years, uh, things have really uh, been sad for the country. So anyone who would sort of uh, wish that we moved ahead, uh, things are not really happening. You know, our uh, GDP growth rate, our per capita income, our per capita income is almost uh, half of that of Bangladesh. You know, you know, fourteen hundred dollars uh, is is a pittance. Bangladesh is much more than that. So, uh, unfortunately, uh, the quality of leadership that was required, and uh, the the role which the bureaucracy uh, should have played, uh, has been wanting to a large extent uh, in Pakistan. Now, uh, let me say that. Over my career, I've seen some of the most, some remarkable bureau, uh, bureaucrats, exceptional people of integrity, intelligence, intellect, and courage. Now, over the years, uh, somehow, I think the bureaucracy is being uh, pressed down, pushed down. And even though the bureaucracy gets all the blame, the fact remains that this is not the bureaucracy uh, which, uh, which worked, let's say, 30, 40 or 50 years back. Uh, there's little security of tenure, you know, that famous example of the higher education department in the Punjab, 14 secretaries or 13 secretaries in a year. And that is all across the board. You know, there's deputy commissioners and ACs and DPOs and IGs and chief secretaries uh, serving less than a year. Less than two and a half to three years is just not tenable. You, you know, you just can't perform. And in, I think, uh, and this really applies to a large number of political leaders also, that uh, a frank, open discussion is uh, frowned upon. It's not really encouraged. And uh, more and more, there's a master-surf relationship between the political leader and the senior bureaucracy. And the senior bureaucrats, they have to keep mum because, as I said, there's no security of uh, sanctity of tenure. And uh, things get done uh, in a manner uh, which is uh, not optimal, but uh, things appear to be uh, deteriorating. So all these things I have mentioned uh, in the book in various chapters, but uh, the, as I said, the first 100 pages, and this is about a 430-page book, the first 100 
pages is really about me, myself, my family, my friends, my schools, my colleges, uh, and some tales from the frontier, uh, 20 tales from the frontier. Now, this is really, I, I wanted these to be placed in for posterity. And uh, I've had, uh, the book was launched by Oxford University Press, and I'm grateful to them for having sponsored it and published it, the Oxford University Press Pakistan. They've been very kind to have done that. Uh, because uh, I understand that they just pick up one manuscript in 20 uh, to publish or something like that. Now, uh, the first 100 pages is, uh, it's called A Frontiersman Recalls. So I'm recalling my school days, my college, university days, my years in the, in the civil service, some postings, uh, the transient tenures of the chief secretary. I was fortunate. I was chief secretary at four places. Uh, the, the KP, Azad, Kashmir, Gilgit, Baltistan, and Sindh. And uh, there were always problems. And uh, one realized that uh, it's difficult to, to function. Uh, it, it's getting increasingly difficult uh, to function at the highest level because the, the ruling politician does not really appreciate uh, honest, uh, objective advice. And as I said earlier, Increasingly, there's a master-serve relationship. Uh, you say what you want to say, and they don't like it, so you get sacked. And actually, in three of these places where I was chief secretary, I was removed because I had serious differences uh, uh, with the government. The last one being in Karachi, following the 12th of May, 2007, when 48 people were killed, innocent people were killed, for no, for no reason at all, just because the rulers then, both the provincial and the federal rulers, did not listen to my advice. And I, I wrote uh, strong, I wrote a letter to them in advance of this that what you are leading to is going to have some very unsavory consequences. And 48 innocent people uh, uh, died who, had, who were just street vendors or chokidars and, and uh, things like that. So, uh, as I said, that uh, they don't. Uh, encourage that. And I have felt after my years in the service that it is not really intellect, which is the most important component of being a good civil servant. Intellect is important, but that's less important than courage. Courage is supremely important. And by courage, I mean character and courage, I think essentially mean the same, so that you can speak truth to power you know, uh, that is difficult. That's the most difficult part of our, uh, of our career because power does not like uh, truth to be spoken to them. So that I thought was, uh, was uh, difficult. And uh, I have quoted lots and lots of instances. You know, I had a long tenure in the Watson Power sector. Uh, the railways, the general administration, and uh, again, it's light reading. There are so many anecdotes, and you'll be amazed at, uh, at uh, how casual the political leadership was and is in dealing with some of these problems. For instance, there's absolutely no reason that we are losing more than a billion rupees a year, and now for almost 25 years. A billion rupees a day is the loss of the power sector because those decisions which ought to have been taken have not been taken. 
when Wabda was uh, bifurcated in 2007, October, uh, they, it was thought that uh, within uh, three years, the discourse would be privatized or better still leased out. And that's not happened. It's been uh, 14 years since then. It's not happened because the those who are in the control of the power sector would not let, uh, uh, let uh, because there's a lot of discretion in this, lot of, lots of power. Imagine the power sector alone employs something like 120,000 people. There's like three or four army corps. That's the number of people there are. And there's so much patronage in the power sector that I think one reason why they do not want to lease it out or privatize it because of the of the patronage. Uh, otherwise, there is a solution. And uh, one part of the solution, of course, lies in uh, privatizing that. Now, uh, after, uh, I just want to clarify that uh, when I was chairman of Wabda, that is when the power sector was separated. So my five years in Wabda, I had nothing to do with the power sector. I was only looking after the water sector. So, uh, but uh, since uh, the losses in the power sector are so, so, so great, I think uh, this was something that uh, I thought I, I would mention. And I was, uh, uh, as a citizen of Pakistan, if not as a chairman, you know, uh, it, it really pains uh, you when you uh, realize that, look at the extent of the circular debt, 2.3 trillion. Uh, it could have been managed better. The losses are there and not much is being done about it. Uh, and these things, of course, uh, uh, they, they spread all over uh, as far as uh, this is concerned. So I thought that uh, these were some of the issues uh, which I raised. I have mentioned the tribal areas, now the merged areas, because I spent a very long time in the tribal areas, right? As an assistant political agent, political agent commissioner, additional chief secretary, chief secretary. And uh, I'm fascinated, fascinated by the, the tribal areas. And I just love the tribesmen. You know, the sort of people that you associate with and I've been associating with them in service uh, officially for almost uh, 12 to 15 years. And uh, long after uh, I, have, I left the tribal areas, you know, there are dozens of people, uh, these tribesmen, in many cases, the sons and grandchildren who come and see, uh, see me. So uh, I think uh, the tribal areas have been merged, which is the right decision. It ought to have been merged. The extension of the police to the travel areas is the right decision. The Sartaj Aziz committee did the right thing uh, uh, by merging the travel areas. And I think part of the time, uh, Sardar Mehtab was the governor and then uh, Jagdai uh, was the governor. So uh, this was the right decision, but I'm quite upset because uh, Presently, there's a void as far as the judicial functions of the state are concerned. The judiciary, the kacheri part of the judiciary, the lower courts, you know, they have been rather an abysmal failure over the past 150 years in Pakistan and India. 
and we have transferred these very civil judges and courts to the tribal areas. They didn't work out over here. They did a poor job over here. How would they do anything better over there? And the tribesmen are not very happy with that. I have written about it. Uh, some of my articles have been published in the newspapers, but I hope the government uh, looks into this and the, the criminal procedure code and the civil procedure code as practiced in the settled districts is totally unworkable in the tribal areas. And I hope sooner or later they have the revage uh, procedural code. So uh, tribal areas and merit areas, uh, this is an important issue. Uh, uh, I have mentioned uh, something about the, what used to be called the provincially administered tribal areas, Deer, Swat, and Chitral. Now I've spent a very long time in these areas. And uh, uh, I think uh, some of the finest uh, people that we have and some of the, the Excuse me. Uh, uh, in uh, Chitral, of course, was always my uh, favorite posting. Uh, there's nothing like Chitral in the entire country, but Gilgit, Baltistan, Skardu, Gilgit, Hunza, lovely places. And so, so of course, are Deer, Swat, and Chitral. But they have their problems. And one of the problems is really the slow pace, the, the non responsive. Uh, government officials, the police stations are not doing a good job. The patwar is doing a poor job. The courts take forever to decide cases because in the old uh, Wali of Swat days, uh, there was hardly a case which was uh, not decided within a week or 10 days or 15 days. Now, 15 years uh, might be the more, the, the standard uh, time in which a civil case is uh, disposed of. So I think we owe something to the people of the Malakan division and more so to the people of the tribal areas because no one in this country has suffered as much as the people of the tribal areas right from 1947-48 because they are the ones who sacrificed the most for this country. And I, I don't think we are doing a uh, fair enough job for them. We need to look after their interests better. And it's sad that uh, the recommendation that 3% of the divisible pool would be spent on the, on the tribal areas for 10 years, that's not happening. Now, uh, just reminisce and recall the suffering of the tribal areas, the number of, of uh, the, the amount of blood and sacrifice these people have made right from 1979, or even before that, when the Soviets entered Afghanistan, so the past 40 years, they've had a very tough time. And I'm sorry to say that uh, the tough time for them continues and uh, we are not uh, providing the, 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 we are not making the effort to develop them, but more than economic development, I think it's important that we reform and restructure the institutions, especially the judicial setup and the police setup and the officials must all be made responsible so that when you go to a police station, you know, it's not the discretion of the police whether or not to lodge an FIR, it's their duty, it's their obligation. And this doesn't happen. This doesn't happen in the rest of the country, but this doesn't happen in tribal areas either. So uh, they resort to informal jargas and informal adjudication, but I hope uh, that in the years to come, something improves. So uh, these are uh, some of the issues which uh, I have raised. And uh, there's a full chapter 
I was chief secretary in Sen on uh, the 12th of May, uh, 2007, and I there's a chapter, and you know, I've seen what motivates uh, the rulers. And it's not the good of the people that motivates, it's their own selfish interest that, that motivates. One other uh, chapter, which is uh, quite a favorite of mine, and uh, that relates to wildlife. I've written extensively on wildlife. Wildlife has been decimated. Fortunately, the, the trophy hunting program uh, has done well, and uh, some forms of wildlife are improving. But uh, I've written about the power brokers, and uh, uh, given some suggestions for the future. And uh, I hope uh, uh, people who read the book, uh, I had some great response. You know, the feedback has been tremendous from hundreds of people, but there'll be other hundreds of people who do not like it. Well, but I have uh, said what I wanted to say. And as I've quoted in the preface, uh, I've quoted Maulana Jalaluddin Rumi, who says that, you know, I want to sing like the birds sing, not too worried about whether someone listens or what they think about it. I've written my book. Uh, I'm quite pleased with it. It pleases me. And uh, I hope uh, those who get to read it uh, who would like it. Thank you, sir. Thank you very much, Shakeen, sir. It's a wonderful book. As I said, it's very rich. And I think some anthropologists, sociologists would do it justice. Shakil Sab, you had an amazing career. I mean, quite frankly, it's enviable. You've been to so many places, you've done so many things. Um, as a Pakistani, I think it's an enviable career and it's a wonderful career. And you honestly recorded many of your thoughts and things. You've been very forthright. I do sense that you enjoyed your career, but there is a deep sense of despair, should I say. Oh, there's a kind of a sense of despair. For example, let me read out this to you. You say in your fond memories in one place, having spent half a century in public service, I left with the impression that these days it is rarely possible for an officer to positively influence policies where personal agendas or rulers are involved. Then again, you say in another place, Secretaries, uh, most chief secretaries are not destined to complete their full tenures because of the unfair expectations of the rulers, who simply, uh, while others serve simply as doormats. Strong words, Shakil Sab, and I see these everywhere. So let me ask you two or three simple questions. One, yeah, we sense that the same despondency that all of us feel. I don't, I'm not holding you personally. I mean, we all have, whenever we sit together, there's a sense of despair, a sense of pessimism, because we all feel we are not going where our potential should lead us. So we are a people who kind of always have this feeling that we are performing under potential. But you place a lot of blame on the leaders. Now, there's also this other side of the coin that people talk about, that the civil servants, for example, politicians, the civil servants don't work and they don't give us necessary. So how do we solve this equation? Could the civil service, which is a powerful institution, not form some kind of a compact with the leaders on how to work? Or what is required to make the system work better? Because after all, we need a civil service. And as you said, I mean, personally, I know a lot of your civil servants our age are my friends, and they're all very competent people. I can't 
say a word to them in terms of their competence, but individual competence. The group somehow doesn't do so well. So how would you uh, re um, reply to that? Dr. Nadeem, as I said earlier, I, I blame the bureaucracy, the civil servants, uh, just as much, uh, though I feel that since the laws and the, or, and the directives primarily are issued by the politicians in power, you know, right up to Ayub Khan, and even amazingly, surprisingly, some people might be surprised with General Zia al-Haq and uh, with General Musharraf, one could speak one's mind. And uh, I was, we were a bit more fortunate in the frontier province, uh, KP, that we could say what we wanted to Mirad al Khan or Aftab Sherpao and, and uh, Sardar Mehtab and uh, get away with it. You know, we would speak our minds and they would not, they would not sort of uh, take it ill. But then, uh, uh, and later on, and I'm speaking of the last uh, 30 odd years, it's become very difficult to speak one's mind uh, to the politicians. So that's why I said it's a master-serf relationship. And I've known all politicians, almost all politicians, top three or four or five in every political party, I've known them and worked with them. And uh, most of them, I think, have underperformed. There are some good people. But, uh, you know, it is really for the bureaucrats and especially the senior ones, let's say grade 20 and above, and particularly for the federal secretaries, the chief secretaries, the IGs and all, that uh, they speak their minds. So that's why I say that courage is much more important than intellect, uh, you know, no matter how brilliant you are. But if you uh, just keep mum and the politician gets his way, you know, uh, things are not uh, what they should be. Uh, many people feel that uh, our parliament has become largely irrelevant to the needs of the people. Our, uh, our judiciary, the kachari part of it, our, our offices in the districts and the division and the tasils uh, really uh, respond. And uh, this, what happened in Murray is just the latest uh, uh, incident. Uh, the responsiveness that ought to be there, uh, one gets the feeling is not there. And of course, I, I, I'm quite convinced that there's very little accountability, none of the politicians and very little of the bureaucrats. But I agree with you, uh, we also have to share the blame. You also put the blame rightly on our value system. You say that uh, for someone um, that sometime to come, a past reputation, even a personal present conduct will unfortunately continue to haunt us as we will only be able to shed our unhappy traits when those in the country who control matters decide to stand up to higher principles. You seem to also say that we deserve what we get. Is that a right interpretation? Is it a matter of our values or has something happened to us? Are we responsible for what's happening to us? So firstly, I feel that oh, the, there's something in our DNA for the last 3,000 years, the area which now forms Pakistan has been subjected to repeated invasions. And the, the loot, the blood, the pillage, the gore uh, that these people suffered. So our natural response to uh, the marauders and the invaders from Central Asia uh, into, into what is now Pakistan 
we couldn't uh, stand up to them. So we just bowed before them. We prostrated uh, to the to the force and to the power. And that that unfortunately that trait uh, continues. So uh, anyone who's in the government, you know, everyone flocks to him. Uh, and anyone who's in the opposition, <laughs> can you imagine that someone like Motarma uh, Fatma Jinnah lost the elections uh, because there was uh, power on the other side. So I think this part of it is in our DNA. And uh, again, because uh, there is so much uh, power and patronage for those in power that uh, it's difficult for people to, to, to resist them. So when you can't uh, beat them, just join them. So I think that that's what's happening. But uh, then, of course, there are some very honorable, uh, very honorable people uh, amongst the politicians who stick their neck out. And despite all that they suffer in terms of jail and beatings and whatever, uh, they stand their ground. Now, it's not very easy. It's not very easy for opposition politicians to stand their ground, but some do it. And it's not very easy for senior bureaucrats to stand their ground, but some do it. So I think uh, it'll be a long while, but as I said earlier, where are those leaders which developed uh, Malaysia and Singapore and South Korea and uh, Turkey and China? Somehow they have bypassed us, just as uh, they say that uh, the current of uh, civilization and uh, skepticism, the current of skepticism and enlightenment bypassed uh, much of uh, the Muslim world. Uh, somehow, uh, these things have also uh, bypassed us. Uh, we, it, we find it difficult to speak our minds. But uh, I think uh, uh, the hope is that uh, in the years to come, uh, things might improve. But as of now, with this miserable uh, literacy ratio and a high growth of population and the the uh, devastation of the environment and our problem with water uh, and the sort of leadership, which doesn't really focus on these four, four, four or five uh, issues that I've mentioned. If they were to do that, maybe there would be a ray of hope. But uh, right now, uh, I am a bit pessimistic about the future also. So, you're a very unusual civil servant. आपने अपना करियर हमें जो आदत है सिविल सर्विस की कि वो चाहता है इस्लामाबाद में रहे वो चाहता है लाहौर में रहे आपने माशाल्लाह यू स्पेंट योर लाइफ इन फार आउटलाइंग रीजन जहां कोई नहीं जान सकता था जहां कोई पार्टी नहीं होती थी कुछ नहीं तो एक तो पहले बताइए हाउ डिड यू व्हाई डिड यू मेक द डिसीजन इज इट समथिंग आई मीन व्हाट इज इट दैट मेड यू मेक दिस बट द सेकंड थिंग आई आल्सो नोटिस इज दैट देयर इज अ सर्टेन सेंस ऑफ रोमांस अबाउट दोस रीजंस in your thinking and the way you address things i mean um, some of your predecessors have done it too akbar ahmed for example comes to mind jabeel masood comes to mind they also had that romance with the with the tribal areas and with the with that region but is it just romance were you able to help them do something better aur iske sath jo main do cheezen notice karta hu ek aur badi important cheez hai ki you also mentioned the princely states and the merged areas zara inke bare mein bataye ki ye princely states jo humne jitni jaldi khatam kar diye iska koi 
नेगेटिव इफेक्ट था या और जो मर्ज एरिया की हमने की है फाटा के साथ यूनियन शुड इट है सेपरेट प्रोविंस शुड इट है मर्ज जैसे हमने अभी किया है वॉज मर्ज बेटर फॉर देम वॉज सेपरेट प्रोविंस बेटर फॉर देम क्योंकि हम कहते तो रहते पंजाब को तोड़ दो और बाकी प्रोविंस को तोड़ दो बच आई थिंक इज अ गुड आइडिया बट आपका ख्याल है इन दो सवालों पर Sir, as far as as your earlier question is concerned, why I lived in the hills and the mountains, you know, I spent about ten or twelve years in the tribal areas. Then I spent years in Chitral and Swat, and then Gilgit Baltistan, and then Azad Kashmir. I just loved these areas. Number one, uh, they are so different uh, from the settled districts. and unfortunately most of our bureaucrats the senior ones in particular reserved their talent for lahore karachi and islamabad uh, it was always very difficult to get volunteers to be posted to gilgit or to chitral actually when you went to chitral as a deputy commissioner or even an assistant commissioner the people would ask you where did you go wrong kya galti ki kya aapko chitral bhej diya kya guna kiya aapne but uh, you know for one you know i have i just fell in love with all these areas and i uh, i'm so grateful to these people the tribesmen in particular right from bajawar to waziristan you know they maintain their relationship they are respectful they listen to you uh, you know you they are a proud people uh, you can't uh, ride rough shot over them but uh, if you were to become their friend they'll do anything for you and they have proved in blood what they did what they could do and have done for pakistan unfortunately pakistan has looked the other way most of the time as far as deer swat and chitral are concerned again fascinating people uh, the administration the before the merger uh, the administration in deer was uh, really not up to the mark but in swat it was remarkable swat the administration and the governance in swat and let me also say in bhawalpur uh you have never seen uh, this quality of uh, uh, of governance of the old wali of swat ishadara miangul janzeb amazing person and uh, look at the quality of the schools their buildings their roads you know uh, i have mentioned somewhere in the book that there was an earthquake which struck swat in 1991 and all the buildings which were built either by the british or by the walid of swat uh, miagul uh, janzeb all those buildings survived but almost every building constructed after 1969 after the merger of swat with uh, with pakistan almost all of them either collapsed or they had uh, uh, were seriously damaged and that's just one aspect of it the more important aspect is that you know uh, there were just a few murders every year in swat now there are a few murders every month in every police station and uh, no cases uh, uh, are are settled people are not punished but uh, uh, the quality of uh, the system of courts adjudication was fabulous uh, during those times and uh, i think the people of swat uh, we dealt with them rather roughly uh, you know they needed something better but uh, that was not to be so i think uh, 
uh, this is how things are. And I just hope and pray that uh, as Dr. Edmonds of our, our principal in Edwards College would say in the morning assembly, oh God, oh Lord, uh, give wisdom to the leaders of Pakistan. Fascinating. Gee, let me take a few questions from the floor. G. Saeedur Rahman, sir. Saeedur Rahman, sir. Assalamu alaikum, sir. Ji. Sir, my question is, I'm Saeedur Rahman, senior researcher and economist based in Islamabad. My question is that he was at the highest post of chief secretary in AJK, Gilgit and Sindh. So he was directly communicating with the, the government uh, chief minister and others. So he has not given any overview by comparing that uh, how was the responses of, uh, from different provinces or different uh, government officials. So can you uh, mean uh, give okay. some examples from that? Yes, sir. I'll try and give some examples. Yes, you are right. It's at the level of the chief secretary that the political stream and the administrative stream merges. You know, that's where the chief chief secretary heads the the officialdom, and he deals with the chief minister and with the governor. Now there is a difference actually in the frontier province, KP. Uh, you know, uh, the culture is such that the chief ministers and the governors are more relaxed. They would listen to you. They might not agree with you, but it was rare when they did not agree with you. And this applied across the board, you know, all political parties, uh, at least till I was there. This, uh, you know, they, uh, before 2004, 2005, uh, it's a very relaxed sort of a, uh, arrangement over there. Uh, so whether it was uh, Amir Heather uh, of the of the ANP or Akram Durani or uh, Aftab Sherpal, Sardar Mehtab, Mirazal uh, Khan. And so these people would listen to you and you could say what you wanted to say. And it was rare when they didn't agree with you. Now in the Punjab, to some extent and sent to a very large extent, uh, they weren't bothered about your views. You know, for example, when this 12th of uh, uh, May 2007, there were a number of meetings held before the 12th on how to deal with it. And I realized that even when some officer would say something, he was snubbed. Senior people, grade 21 people in the police and in the administration, they were snubbed by the political leadership in, in Senth. Uh, it's also very difficult to uh, to speak one mind uh, in Islamabad uh, later, not in the earlier days. And then in uh, Punjab, I've not really served in the Punjab, but uh, again, there were some very, very fine people. Actually, uh, I had a lot of interaction with, uh, let's say, uh, Shabazz Sharif Saab, and I thought I, I said many things to him regarding water and power and all these issues, and he would listen. And uh, but there were other people in Islamabad in the water and power who would just not bother uh, about that. So uh, I think there is a difference. But uh, Sayyidur Rahman Saab, uh, to answer uh, the short answer to your question is that uh, it's not a uniform sort of a 
response. Uh, there are people who encourage you to speak. And amazingly, you might be surprised. The, the military rulers, General Musharraf, for instance, and General Fadliyak, and General uh, Zawalak, they would listen to you. You could say what you wanted to say to them. But that doesn't, very, uh, that doesn't happen very often uh, with, the, with the politicians. Thank you, sir. Thank you very much. We have now Mazarullah Khan. Khan. Alaikum, Durani Sab. This is uh, Dr. Mazullah from uh, School of Management Sciences, Ghulam Sarkhan Institute. Uh, I read your book actually, and uh, my favorite is chapter number one, where you told us some uh, stories. I really like those stories. Uh, my question is about state owned uh, enterprises and uh, you led actually two of them, Wabda and uh, actually the power part of it and uh, then Pakistan Railways. The cumulative losses in 2019 were 143 billion rupees. Uh, and it is actually very, very uh, huge burden on the taxpayer. What do you think should be the solution? Uh, in your opinion, what really worked for you while working uh, with those institutions and what did not work? And do you think as a public policy, for example, let's say, uh, just to take advantage of the presence of Dr. Nadeem ul uh, who is expert in this area, is it prudent, for example, let's say, to continue with these institutions or should we divert all these resources somewhere else and, for example, let's say, prioritize these uh, institutions? Uh, because we have given it enough time and, in my opinion, uh, spending more money and, for example, let's say, making good for their losses would not be a good idea, in my opinion. How do we respond to that, sir? Khan, I couldn't agree more with you. Uh, the government has made a royal mess of the power sector in Pakistan, and this continues for the last 30 or 35 years. Before that, power sector was in a better shape, in the, uh, right up to the end of the uh, 1980s and earlier part of 1990, power sector was in a much better shape. But the last 30 years have been an absolute disaster, and why the government does not want to privatize, or even better, uh, lease out for 15 or 20 years the discos of, or many feeders in the discourse. I don't know. I think the Ministry of Privatization is fast asleep and it has been uh, uh, it, it, it is in a coma, it's comatose for the past 30 years. And I'm just amazed, or at least for the past 20 years, and I'm just amazed why they are not privatizing the power sector. You know, this 1.5 billion rupees loss per day is unbearable and uh, they'll have to do something about it. They should start privatizing because with 22 million consumers, power consumers in Pakistan, and with the sort of uh, structure that we have, uh, it's not easy to, uh, to share the money. So uh, I think they'll have to do a lot more for the Karachi steel mill. Uh, it's unfortunate that uh, they haven't been able to privatize the Karachi steel mill. They were biased for that. Uh, the railway has many problems and it could do a much better job. But then, again, it's for the government and the rulers to take that decision. But I agree with you. Uh, there, there are solutions uh, to these issues. Farid Rahman, sir. Farid Rahman, sir. 
Paritab. Paritab can't seem to unmute his mic. Okay, a pro-rector, sir. Pro-rector. Pro-rector. No? Okay, Jamiluddin Nabi, sir. Right, thank you. Assalamu alaikum, ji. Uh, so this is Jamilun Nabi from University of Wasser. Thank you very much. Uh, it's really a delight to hear, you know, your experiences as a very seasoned bureaucrat. And uh, uh, I can understand that speaks of the courage initially that you were addressing to. So you have the courage to speak the truth and maybe that is the reason that you are a bit pessimistic. سر میرا سوال آپ سے یہ ہے کہ مختلف فورمز کے اوپر ہم بات کرتے ہیں اور پاکستان is in a mess I mean to say there are so many problems and at times we cannot prioritize what is our biggest problem سر آپ کے رائے میں ہماری top three problems کیا ہے میں چار پانچ نام بتا دیتا ہوں شاید آپ کے لئے ذرا سانی ہو جائے is it our population is it the courage you are addressing to is it corruption is it illiteracy? What are the top three problems of Pakistan, sir? Thank you. I have, uh, uh, thank you, Dr. Jamil Nabi. Uh, I have absolutely no doubt in my mind what the top three problems are. And uh, since you did mention the, the courage part of it, uh, which is uh, really complementary uh, to bureaucracy, I, I don't think it's possible for a bureaucrat, especially at the senior level, to function effectively without courage. You know, as I said earlier, intellect, there are far too many people who could guide you with, uh, with just the right solutions. You know these solutions anyway, but it's very important to be able to speak your mind up to the leadership. And very often the leadership has their personal agenda. And I've seen it for 40 years now. Uh, so courage is important. But as far as other issues are concerned, I feel that one of the main issues is uh, uh, the literacy ratio. Bangladesh is now approaching 85% literacy ratio. States like Kerala state in India, way back in the early 60s, had almost a 90% literacy ratio. You can't go anywhere. You can't develop. You can't step into the 21st century when you are still stuck in the 16th century as far as literacy is concerned. And you should have proper literacy. It's not the sort of a literacy that uh, you can just write your name or uh, read a sentence. That's not literacy. Uh, literacy is more to, uh, than that. So I think uh, I would place my finger, uh, first of all, on uh, a zero growth rate of population. I think 220 million is quite enough. Uh, because if the present population growth rate rises, maybe in, in 30 years, we'll be 350 million. And look at the problems today. You know, <laughs> look at, uh, even though uh, the economy is not doing that well, look at the number of cars. You can't travel on the roads at all these days. So population certainly is a must. Uh, you know, the green areas have to survive, but with the population growth rate of adding 5 million people every year to our population, where is the, uh, uh, the green areas are just going to turn into the brown areas, the built up areas, the roads, whatever. So uh, mm -hmm. I feel after 
the the courage and integrity in the politicians and the bureaucrats, which of course is number one. Uh, my second priority would be uh, coming down to a zero rate of growth population. You know, a fertility ratio of 2.1 uh, uh, per woman per per uh, husband and wife. 2.1 is is a uh, is the rate which would sustain this population. And thirdly, it's uh, it's uh, literacy. I would also add a fourth one. You know, we are adding. We have 200 universities, and most of them are general conventional universities teaching languages and uh, teaching humanities. I think many of these universities have to be should be converted into vocational and technical training institutes. There are so many jobs available all over the world for them. And by putting these people, getting them through their BAs and MAs and whatever, you know, we are just adding to their burden, the burden of their families. Uh, people study for 16 years and get a master's and then cannot get, get a job. So, and this year, I believe 16 new universities are going to be established in Pakistan. This is not fair to the people of Pakistan. I think we should have, like, we should convert a large number of these existing universities into technical training colleges, at diploma level. Uh, and uh, at least those people would be able to to, to make a living. So, uh, Dr. Jamil Nabi, these are my priorities. Farid Rahman, Farid Rahman, sir, can you speak? No, Dr. Fawad. Hello. Can you hear me now? Here we can. Uh, Dr. Sabsalamalikam, good, good to, good to, to see you after some time, and um, uh, it's uh, lovely to hear Shakil Durani, uh, and uh, uh, the to read his, to hear about his book. Uh, I had the good fortune of um, having a look at the book when it was a, still being uh, a work in progress. And I've been fascinated by it. But I, I would like to say something about Shakil Durrani, the man who wrote the book, because it comes out uh, in, uh, in, in, in his writing, his frankness, his honesty, integrity, and his, uh, the way he uh, looks at the world and his perspective. Uh, Shaquille is basically, to my mind, a romantic. And uh, this comes out in his book, and it also comes out in many, many things that he's done and he's achieved. And I'll give you some examples. When we were working together in the frontier, um, uh, I used to visit many, in my position, I used to visit many uh, of these uh, rest houses. And invariably in the rest houses, I saw a plaque and an antique gun, and it would say presented by Shaquille Durrani. Or I would see an old, a nice picture hanging on the wall of the rest house. Now, while the other, I would say, people occupying the rest houses were sort of uh, taking all the little things away from the rest houses, like antique guns and furniture and carpets. Shaquille was there to contribute. And uh, I was very much impressed by the fact. And I mentioned to him, I said, 
look, you, you, you spend a lot of time trying to build up and to contribute to, 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 to do things you see wrong and, uh, and so on. The other thing is that he um, has done a lot of uh, work for wildlife. Uh, in Chitral, for example, he started the bounty program to save uh, the marhor and the snow leopard. He, it comes out a little bit in the book, but uh, he was uh, mainly sort of responsible for setting that up. And we see now how uh, the snow leopard and the marhor has been protected. He is very fond of shooting. He was very fond of shooting. And uh, he would go and shoot uh, but now he's a uh, conservationist. He goes around uh, for shikar regularly. He was to send and to other places around. But uh, he sees the birds and he seldom makes a shot. So uh, I think in, in the context of the book has also to be seen in the context of the man. And perhaps, uh, you know, uh, this is relevant to this discussion. Thank you. All right, so thank you very much. I think it's really added a dimension to the, this discussion. Thank you very much. Dr. Fawad Hassan, sir. Thank you. Uh, can you hear me? Okay. Yeah, we can. Asalaamu yes. yeah. Alaikum, sir. Uh, this is Dr. Fawad from the Faculty of Computer Science and Engineering, Jake Institute. Uh, sir, first of all, it, I would like to say it was a wonderful hearing your opinion and your experiences. And I couldn't agree on one of the things you said. Uh, you mentioned that there are 16 new universities being started. And uh, I totally agree with you that perhaps the focus right now should be on uh, getting the manpower that's required for industrialization. And uh, that comes from uh, developing polytechnic and uh, you know training, vocational training institute where we have the capable uh, manpower. So uh, I would like to know your opinion. I mean, you mentioned about the problems of the bureaucracy and um, I would like to know what you think uh, about, uh, maybe the problems arise because the bureaucracy was uh, designed by the British and for the British. Perhaps the purpose was to you know, help them manage the subcontinent and not to let the subcontinent itself grow. Uh, you mentioned about, uh, you know, you said you couldn't speak to uh, the higher ups. Uh, perhaps the same things happen in China. They have the one party policy and you can't speak a lot there either. However, one difference uh, there with, uh, as opposed to us, is that they have one vision, one agenda, and everybody is working towards that vision. So I would like to know, in your opinion, did you find that in our bureaucracy, there are many visions uh, distributed, everybody is going on his or her way, and that is causing a, a lot of problems for the entire system as a whole. Thank you. Uh, thank you. Uh, I think uh, from what uh, I've read about China, uh, there the political leadership, the Communist Party leadership, and the uh, administrative cadres, you know, they do debate every subject before they take a decision. And uh, apparently, there is a free-ranging debate. Uh, people could speak their mind. And uh, then it's on the basis of that consensus which develops that uh, decisions are taken. Uh, 
in Pakistan, I think uh, my my feeling uh, has been that uh, the politicians in power uh, they have their uh, priorities, and it's uh, not very often that uh, the views of the mm -hmm. bureaucracy are uh, are incorporated and actually uh, if uh, someone uh, raises an issue more than once uh, the politician in power whether it's a minister or another person they get get irritated because the focus is not on the long term improvement the focus is on being returned to power in the next elections now uh, coming back to this thing about the the, the railways and the water and power, uh, the, particularly the, the power sector. You know, uh, does anyone doubt? Does do people not know what are the solutions? There are dozens and hundreds of uh, very competent professionals on, on, as far as the power sector is concerned. But who is it that's going to take the decision on improving it, on privatizing it, on leasing it? Uh, that is uh, that is not being done. Who is it that prevents the uh, steel mills uh, from being privatized. So I think it's important that uh, whatever decision you take, whether it's the power sector of the, or the single national curriculum, the, the views of uh, uh, those who know the subject best must be incorporated. Uh, and especially uh, what you spoke about, uh, this other thing, uh, the the employment and unemployment, uh, you know, this new universities, general conventional universities would not do. As uh, people have said earlier on, uh, we need to focus on the technical education and on the, on the polytechnics. So uh, that is my view uh, as far as these two subjects are concerned. Thank you. Babar Ali, Babar Ali. Assalamu alaikum. Uh, I'm very happy to, to, to be listening to um, Mr. Shakil Durani and I must compliment uh, Dr. Nadeem Haq for uh, facilitating this uh, launch of the book. I read the book cover to cover. I thoroughly enjoyed it. Uh, I think it's a must reading for any new person joining the administrative staff service because he covers his own career. Not only that, but he also in, uh, you know, shares his knowledge and his 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 uh, his uh, skill of solving problems, in, especially in the in in, in the uh, um, in, in the frontier uh, region, and especially uh, people who do not belong to that area and, and who have an opportunity to serve in KPK should read this book because you learn a hell of a lot of how to deal with the people, how to respect them, how to interact with them. And of course, uh, his career has been uh, uh, without any, uh, it has been, a, you know, without any, uh, it's been a uh, career with total success and nobody could point a finger at him for any anything wrong that could have happened. Uh, you know, my own feeling is that the, what is wrong with Pakistan today is that most of our politicians have parachuted from the top. Very few have have grown from the bottom up. And uh, there is so much 
money that is spent in getting elected because the first attempt of these politicians is to really recover the their investment and add something more for the next election if you have uh, you know elections which cost money uh, then you cannot have real democracy you have to have people uh, you know who really truly represents the sentiment of the people at the ground at the grassroots which is not happening but uh, coming back to the book i think is a tremendous contribution to people who would like to understand how a, a good bureaucrat uh, works how he led a life with uh, total integrity and i think it should be a role model for our young uh, bureaucrats to to emulate him uh, thank you very much shakil for this excellent work that you have done and the team will have for giving us an opportunity to to uh, learn from him thank you sir greatly honored sir by your words thank you so much thank you ladies and gentlemen that was babar ali the legendary babar ali of uh, many industrial fame the founder of lums uh, let's go to shahid mahmood assalam alaikum ji shukil uh, sahab this is shahid mahmood uh, i am a research fellow at fide and one of my research areas is uh, happens to be incidentally happens to be erstwhile fata and uh, i just have a few observations to share uh, you might agree or you might disagree with that and i'll quickly go through those observations but, uh, one of the things uh, uh, that i learned from my work there are only two power centers over there in uh, when it comes to erstwhile fata one bureaucracy and second the army there are no other ones politicians are least interested in development work and least interested in uh, getting something developed over there uh they just need what they have little say in it it's basically the bureaucracy and the army now over time a lot of money has flowed to those areas if somebody says that there has been no money or no funds going there that's wrong that's wrong a lot of money has gone over there especially it has come from the donors right but there is no record of no central data repository no statistics of those areas and obviously this responsibility given that chief secretary is the all powerful used to be and still is all powerful in that respect in erstwhile fata and former fata they should have been done long ago but you couldn't even find it's hard to find even data and proper statistics on it. there were often on statistics there were publications but most of them i've found to be fake statistics and made up statistics they are not true second there is a lot of dependency over there especially on do donor money and not all that money whatever that is spent some people benefit a lot from it but it's only a tiny percentage for example just and that's reflected if if no money was going over there and nothing was going uh, uh, there was if people say that there was no money over there then a lot of people from fata they own a lot of things outside of fata in peshawar in islamabad in, in other cities and i'm i hope you would agree with that 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 is the situation on ground the colonial uh, it's the development model for, followed over there is the same colonial development model that dr nadeem often talks about it's all about building roads and it's all about building infrastructure all the money goes in there almost a huge chunk of that uh, development budget whatever development budget is over there that goes towards uh, the same infrastructure the same roads but it there is nothing innovative about it uh, for example let me just point out 
that issue the issue of property rights property rights are not very well defined when uh, i'm working with the kp government and i keep asking this question and keep uh, encountering this issue that they want private sector to come in and invest but why would the private sector come in where, when there are no well defined property rights the last settlement for example in momand where part of my family still lives the last land settlement was carried out in 1923 and believe me after that there has been no settlement uh, exercise over there now and last but not least there have been absolutely no studies whatsoever on all the money that has been spent over there over the years and what's what has been their outcome so if you are talking about fata and its poor development indicators who if there should have been an exercise an evaluation exercise where all the money went so uh, there has been no exercise like that thank you sir uh, thank you shah mahmood sir uh, uh, you appear to have extensive knowledge about the tribal areas uh, i'm very happy to uh, hear from you uh you know i need to point out and i have pointed it out at more than two places in my book that there was one individual who passionately wanted fata developed he wanted roads on to the duran line he set up industrial units in all seven agencies there were water supply schemes then shalozan and parachinar and and in bada and then bajawar and south wazirstan the man that man was ms zulfikar ali bhutto i've never come across another president or prime minister like ms zulfikar ali bhutto who had the passion to develop the tribal areas and it would surprise you that in i was a political agent in 1974 that's all the first agency i did 1974 it might surprise you to learn that the chief secretary a remarkable man mr nasrul minalla and uh, general nasirullah babar who was the inspector general front court they would hold a meeting with every political agent once a week and check on the development and uh, unfortunately after uh, 1975 uh, that development came to a standstill and i have never seen any president prime minister minister as dedicated and devoted to the tribal mm-hmm. areas as mr zulfikar ali bhutto was remember in those days 1973 74 he would visit every agency at least once a year i mean the seven agencies and he would uh, visit every agency once a year and would often spend uh, uh, overnight he would be overnight in parachinar or rasma kovana or miransha so unfortunately that did not continue and there was never any problem uh, there was no restraint on as far as money is concerned and he said anything that the political agent wants we'll provide that is when the first girls school started emerging in the tribal areas 1974 75 now as far as your uh, you you mentioned the property rights you you are quite right uh, uh, except for parts of the the word plains mirali area and upper kuram uh, no land settlement has taken place uh, in the tribal areas but by and large uh, they are pretty clear about uh, who holds the property and its uh, ancestral uh, things could 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 be improved uh, certainly but the reason why 
outsiders are not investing in, in the tribal areas, even though a large number of the marble uh, factories, the owners are uh, from outside the, the old Fata areas. Uh, it is because of the lawlessness over there, especially over the last 40 years. Uh, you know, the writ of the state, uh, you don't find much writ of the state uh, till about uh, after 9-11. It's only after 9-11 that the writ of the state, and mind you, the writ of the state does not mean that you have police posts or frontier court posts all over the places. Uh, effective writ of the state means that you have people living over there in habitation, that they are schools and they are functioning hospitals and the hospitals have doctors and medicines and schools have uh, books and teachers and uh, there's running water and electricity. This is the rest of the state, but most important of them all is that there is an uh, system of adjudicating disputes. That is the rest of the state. And that never happened. Mr. Bhutto was trying to do it. Uh, his tenure was very short, he couldn't do it. But uh, for the past, uh, following him, I've really come across uh, anyone uh, who was keenly interested in the development of ARTA. Yes, a uh, number of roads have been developed, especially when uh, General Kiani was the chief. A number of roads uh, were developed and schools have come up, credit colleges have come up, but uh, a lot more needs to be done. I think a lot more needs to be done because FATA, uh, like the KP province, is uh, not self-sufficient in food. You know, uh, less than a third, they grow less than a third of the food requirements in the KP, and I think less than a less than a sixth, or maybe even less than that, in the, in the, in the tribal areas. Uh, some new different projects uh, have been initiated: the Gomal Zam, the Kuramtangi Dam, Zam the Moman Dam, uh, these things would help. But uh, I quite agree with you that the government must take a more focused uh, view on this and uh, place FATA higher on its on agenda. Previously, the governor uh, would look after the FATA. Now, that is no longer the case uh, after the merger. But I would feel it's, it might not be a bad idea if the governor, on behalf of the chief minister, uh, takes a greater interest in the problems of, of FATA. But the adjudication of disputes, the civil disputes, the criminal cases, uh, as long, uh, I, I don't think the future bodes very well because uh, this system which has been introduced, transferring the, uh, replicating the district courts, the kacheri into FATA, I think uh, this would not do the tribesmen much good. One last question before you go. You about the civil service in Pakistan's development, etc., and the fact that uh, civil service must have courage and the ability to. And I agree with everything that you say. The one question that I have for you is about the changing role of civil service through your career. If you recall, before our time, actually, the civil servant was really a researcher. You know, if you the India office library civil servants ne bahut sociological empirical research ki hukumat ko bataya at the same time the civil civil service was a custodian of process and the custodian of record keeping ye kuch aapko lagta hai change hua hai aapki lifetime mein ki has the civil service taken these two things by the same passion 
that uh, your predecessors did or has this denuded over time? Because when I go to staff college or civil service academy, mein, so I find that those kinds of people who will do this. They're more uh, um, ad- rulers than administrators, people who will make process, people who will keep records. What do you think about this? Uh, so mine might be an unconventional view. I believe that the British administrators really cared about the, the people they were serving. Uh, the sacrifices which they made, the graveyards all over India, Pakistan are full of these people are dying of malaria and all sorts of uh, tropical diseases. And in the early part of uh, uh, my service, I came across lots and lots of people who had served with the British or had seen the British officers and they were all praised for them. Our people, uh, sorry to say, uh, they're good people, but there are some very arrogant people in our service also, uh, all services that is. And I feel that the, there's not enough accountability, day-to-day accountability of the, of the bureaucracy in the districts. I mean, there is absolutely no reason why uh, FIR is not lodged an hour or two hours after it's been reported. But someone must know if, some, if an FIR is not lodged, someone must pay for it. Then the, for the investigation to be completed and Chalan put in court, there are time limits that must be done. And similarly, as far as the deputy commission is concerned, it makes absolutely no sense for people to sit outside his office for eight hours and then he says, okay, come the next day. And then again, he works for eight hours. And what he does after he sees the deputy commissioner or the SP or the DIG or the commissioner, they take his petition and mark it to an officer lower than them. And after a couple of days, that officer marks it to someone uh, lower than him. So I think they must be uh, greater accountability. And I really feel that uh, the bureaucracy, the, whether it's the police, which are, of course is not a bureaucracy, but the police is only scared of either the IGP or the chief minister. And that's true of the commissioners and deputy commissioners also. That is when they are at their best. And I would want uh, a greater sense of uh, accountability. And it is not, you know, the, it's, it doesn't really matter. Uh, you know, we come across uh, this phrase quite often in the, in the press that a murder takes place or a decoity takes place or a kidnapping takes place. And the chief minister says that I've taken notice of it. It is not for you to take notice of it. It's not for the chief uh, secretary or the IGP to take notice. It's for the SHO to take notice. It's for the DPO to take notice. And it's your duty to ensure that uh, the case is finalized. Because after all, what is the touchstone of uh, police competence? It is, what is the rate of conviction uh, after appeal? Now, if the rate of conviction after, after appeals in Pakistan is between three and 5%, Quite obviously, the security situation is uh, unsatisfactory. And that happens also uh, with all other uh, services. Now, whether it's a municipality, you go to these hospitals, any hospital, including PIMS. Uh, uh, you know, there are some very good officers in PIMS. You know, the head of the PIMS is a uh, good chap from what I hear. But for ordinary person, you go to any hospital, in the KP, including the Lady Reading, uh, 
you suffer. And now, of course, uh, I think uh, lots of these uh, responsibilities, obligations of the hospitals are being uh, under the safeguard being given to the private sector. Uh, it has its, its advantages, but I would uh, really caution against that. The district hospitals and the tertiary hospitals really need to be strengthened uh, all across the country. So as far as uh, the short answer to your question is that there are good officers and they are mediocre officers and they are poor officers. And uh, they, they work according, uh, uh, to, according to uh, what they feel is, is proper, or maybe even if they don't, uh, do not uh, do that, they, they rise to their uh, own levels of competence and incompetence. But by and large, I'm not very satisfied with the response or with the uh, with the level of uh, good governance, which I, I should have thought uh, must exist in a country in the 21st century. So with this level of bureaucracy and with these politicians, and you have seen how this country has uh, suffered, I don't know how we walk into the uh, middle of the 21st century. Sitin Sahib, very quickly, what would the, what would, um, the young Shaquille Durani have done if you were in Mari in, during this tragedy? What would you have done to prevent this great tragedy? I think the, uh, the AC uh, and the deputy commissioner and the commissioner in, and indeed the provincial government, from what I hear in the press, they had abundant time. They were informed by the meteorological department that there's going to be heavy snows. So after that, you still allowed 130,000 vehicles to uh, get into Murray. There was, uh, that was wrong. Once these people got stuck, then of course it became a uh, very difficult exercise. But they should have been forewarned. Uh, you know, had they, had they been forewarned, for, to forewarn is to forearm. You know, uh, they could have preempted much of what had happened. Uh, of course, the, the, the extent of the problem, 140,000 vehicles, 130,000 vehicles in heavy snow, I don't know how you, you manage that, but uh, clearly there was a failure. Uh, there was a failure and the local hoteliers and the businessmen uh, fleecing the people. But I think the government uh, could have done a lot more than uh, had been done. Uh, there were difficulties. But I think more than the assistant commissioner, I would blame the, the people at the higher level, especially the provincial level. Uh, they should have uh, taken greater stock of it or better stock of it. Thank you, Dean. Shakil Saab, I know it's getting late and you have to go, but there are two people who want to ask questions. Will you allow them or should we close? Pushle Chaleji. Sardar Amin Saab. Sardar Amin uh, Asalaamu As Alaikum. I think the moderator unmuted me instead of Sardar Aminullah Sahib. So this is uh, Mazullah again, Durrani uh, Sahib. Three or four years ago, actually, I sent a proposal to uh, Temur Jagla when they came into power. And I proposed that uh, we should set up, uh, in my opinion, service centers, just like in Canada, 
so all the requests, like from government to public, all the services, they should be initiated to service centers. So in a way, you are creating a disconnect between the service receivers and the government officials. So that would, in my opinion, the best way to uh, combat, for example, let's say corruption. And let's say if we define standard operating procedures and we also define, let's say, uh, the time limits that in how many, let's say, for example, let's say if I apply for a driver license in Canada, uh, they tell me that, okay, you will get this driver license within two weeks. I do not interact with the government officials at all. So even, for example, let's say, if, even if I would like to uh, expedite it or let's say uh, get it to unfair means, there is no way uh, I could do that. So then uh, Temur Jagrasab asked me actually to send their proposal, proposal to Kamran Bangashtab, who was working with, uh, uh, I think, some sort of like uh, IT function uh, with the Prime Minister's office. Uh, I think they should look into that proposal. Uh, in my opinion, it has very, very uh, efficient solutions for all government to uh, public uh, services. Because in a way, we are creating a disconnect between the public and the service providers. Um, it, uh, for example, let's say, ensures efficient, uh, um, let's say, uh, 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 like, like providing like those services are like more efficient and then by effectively creating this disconnect actually we are discouraging the corruption as well. What do you think, sir, automation, is it not a solution, for example, for most of our problems? I, I wouldn't know for certain because if uh, someone is uh, doesn't perform the duties manually, how would he do it better uh, through automation? But uh, let me say that uh, the what needs to be done is to reduce discretion. The exercise of discretion is an inverse proportion to the quality of governance. The greater the discretion, the poorer the governance. So you should have no discretion. Uh, you know, whether it's a policeman or a tasildar or, or uh, anyone, uh, you have to do that job and you, uh, you certainly don't have discretion. Why should there be a discretion with the minister for power to allow some people a uh, uh, tubal connection, but not others. Why should the deputy commissioner uh, have the power to grant an arms license to someone and not to someone else? I mean, there must be some yardsticks and they are yardsticks, but generally they are followed more in default. But uh, the, the larger question is that, uh, you know, everyone has to uh, be answerable for every act that he does. And we are, we are all public servants or were public servants. And whether we uh, deny someone what he considers the right, we, we must be able to satisfy him. And if he cannot satisfy him, then I think uh, there is the prime minister's portal and uh, people should be free to him and better still complain to the ombudsman. And the ombudsman, of course, the good institution, they, they do the job well. So I, I think uh, the exercise of discretion has to be reduced. Assalamualaikum, sir. Can you hear me now, sir? Yes, I can. Hi. Thank you, sir. And Assalamualaikum, sir. And my regard to Nadeem Alakab sahab also, sir, and Fareed Rahman sahab also, sir. Sir, uh, uh, my comments on the book are as uh, uh, stated by the others. Also, I need not repeat those because uh, about this wonderful book. Sir, you have written a lot about governance in Pakistan and tribal areas and other parts of the 
country also sir sir me also as a, as a, as a retired uh, civil servant i am i am disappointed like you so how do you see the bureaucracy of this country for the service of pakistan in the coming years with a frozen pen and a sort of uh, rudderlessness in view of uh, uh, obvious messing up of the roles and responsibilities in the in the in the quarters of power in the, in this country sir thank you very much sir uh, thank you sardar sir you know i have absolutely no doubts that if the the civil servant the bureaucrat the dpo the ig if uh, uh, they have a sanctity of tenure they'll be able to perform the duties much better and and uh, withstand any pressure which is applied on them but you know when you can remove the dpo uh, just because uh, some politician is uh, not pleased with him uh, that's not fair i think that's just not fair so sanctity of tenure is absolutely important and i also feel that in case uh, uh, there is a uh the politician in power uh, uh has a serious disagreement with let's say the secretary the rules of business uh, uh, do take care of that but if uh, a bureaucrat a federal secretary or let's say in the case of the punjab higher education department the 13 or 14 people who have been shifted in one year uh anyone who's removed uh, without completing his tenure the case must go straight away to the provincial ombudsman and the ombudsman must decide uh, against uh, the government or against the individual this is just not possible if there is sanctity of tenure you know you could say no to everyone and nothing would happen uh, you know the 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 misgivings and this uh, in in services but more than that you know the uh, when you when you come across uh, decision makers who force their decision on to you and they take faulty decisions and inappropriate decisions and downright illegal decisions uh we must uh, there must be an approach made to the ombudsman maybe the district ombudsman at the at the lower level district level but to the provincial and the federal ombudsman and he must be able to uh, question the government of the day why a federal secretary or a chairman or uh, let's say uh, an ig has been removed when for no fault of his and the government must satisfy him once uh, this is done an ombudsman is giving that uh, option because ombudsman can uh, uh, decide this within a day or two uh, i have no doubts that the quality of administration and governance will improve thank you you sir thank you very much it has been an honor to have you at pid you will um, appreciate this that we at pied have been trying to make an effort convince the planning commission that we need people like you to come and work at pied post retirement for a year or two to interface with our kids so that those people can also see and learn from your experience and i wish this book had been written while you were at pied because quite frankly uh, we need more such efforts to be made at the country's think tank pied is not mine pied is not yours pied is the country's think tank and we are trying very hard to make sure that people like yourself should come here work here with our kids 
you know, interface with them. That's all work. You guys don't need work, I know. But interface with the kids, talk to them, oh. give them your wisdom. And I hope someday we'll be able to realize that. Being well, Shakir Sahib, engage with us. And help us understand this country better. Your book is a real, really a good addition to knowledge in Pakistan. Thank you very much. Greatly honored, sir. Uh, very kind of you for these uh, exceptionally uh, lavish words. And I'll be more than happy to work for you in any capacity. Thank you so much, sir. Thank you very much, Shakir. Sir, we'll call on you for that. Thank you. Thank you.